Well, before we look into God's word, let us speak to him again. Heavenly Father, we cannot thank you enough for giving us your word, that we have the words of eternal life right here before us. We have words that instruct us as to how we are to live so that we can please you as your servants. Lord, we pray that we may be humbled by your word today about how we have not served you as we should. And Lord, we pray that we may go from here all the more eager to serve you as your word tells us to. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you have an unpleasant job, it's always a question that we ask is, how long will I have to do it? Last week I spoke about one of the most unpleasant jobs of being a father, and that is changing nappies. It is not one of the things that I look forward to, it is not something I volunteer for readily, but it is something that I nevertheless do. The question is, how long will I have to do this for? How long do I have to change nappies for? And the question is, the answer is, until the child is toilet trained. And thankfully, uh, we've been doing that with Joshua over the last couple of weeks, and so the end of changing nappies for Joshua, not for Philippa, uh, is about to come to a close, which is wonderful to know that the length of this job is at its end, that soon the unpleasant job will be all over. And last week we saw that Isaiah was given an unpleasant job as well. He was given the unpleasant job of proclaiming God's word to people but the response that he would see was not going to be a positive response, but instead a hardening response to God's word. We've been looking at Isaiah chapter 6 for a number of weeks now, and we firstly saw Isaiah have this vision of God in all his glory uh, with these seraphs, these angels hovering around with these six wings around uh, the throne of God, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Then we saw Isaiah's response to this, that he said not, oh, isn't this wonderful that I'm here? He said, woe to me, I'm a ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, he says in verse 4, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then we looked at God's response to Isaiah's response, and that was to send a seraph over with a burning coal from the altar and cleanse Isaiah's lips And so then Isaiah, with these clean lips, as opposed to having unclean lips, he is able to be God's messenger. And he hears God inviting volunteers, which is what we looked at last week. God says in verse 8, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah sticks up his hand and says, Here am I, send me. And then he finds out the details of the job after he signed up for it. And that is that he's to tell people, Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. And then actually he's commanded, make the hearts, the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Not a fun job to do, to proclaim God's word to a people who don't respond, but instead are hardened as you proclaim God's word to them. And so then we see Isaiah's question that comes after this. And what is that in verse 11? That's what we're going to look at this week. Then I said, for how long, O Lord? How long must I do this job? It's interesting he doesn't ask why, which is a question that springs to my mind. Why is God going to harden people rather than soften people by the the preaching of his word? He doesn't ask that audacious question, why? He only asks, how long must I do it for? 
just like me with changing dirty nappies. I shouldn't ask why do I have to do that. That's kind of obvious. It's part of being a parent. But I can ask how long will I have to do this unpleasant job? And that's what Isaiah is asking. He's saying, how long, O Lord, how long will I have to proclaim this message and harden people's hearts? And so my first main point is about the answer to that question. And that is, Isaiah must preach till Israel is downsized. Isaiah must preach until Israel is downsized. That's the response that is given by God in verse 11 and verse 12. Until Israel is progressively downsized. We see it in verse 11. And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. How long does Isaiah have to keep proclaiming this word and seeing people harden to God? It's until Israel is pretty much wiped out. We see it progressively happen there until cities lie ruined. So cities are the big groups of people but then they're ruined and there's no one there and without inhabitant. And then he moves from cities to houses until the houses are left deserted. Okay, so the cities are ruined, but maybe there's a couple of houses with people left in them. And he's, no, until the houses are left deserted. You don't give up when the cities are ravaged. You keep going until the houses have no one in them. And then, just in case there's some people who are sheltering in the fields, what does he say? And the fields ruined and ravaged. You keep going even if the houses are empty. If there are people in fields, you keep on telling people about God and hardening their hearts as you proclaim the message. And then he sums up, verse 12, until the Lord has sent everyone far away. Word everyone there is a translation for the word man, for Adam, Adam, where we get the name Adam from. Until all man is sent away. And the land is utterly forsaken. And then there's a hint that there may be some people left in verse 13. And though a tenth remains in the land, so 90% of the people have been taken out, you're still meant to be preaching, Isaiah. Then if there's tenth there, you might think, I can give up then, I can stop this hard job. What does he say? And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. That 10% will be attacked as well. And people will be removed from there. So basically, God is saying, Isaiah, you must keep preaching God's word until there is no one left to talk to. You keep preaching when there's one other person around, I want you to talk to that person. I want you to proclaim my word to them, even if it is hardening their hearts to hear God's word. Now that's a little depressing to consider that this might happen, that all the people around me are going to disappear and the whole time that I, those people are being taken, I have to keep preaching this word that hardens their hearts. And Isaiah might start to wonder, will there be anyone left except me? Will I even be taken? Will God have no mercy upon Israel? Will there be anyone left in this land? And that's where we see a little promise given at the end of verse 13. God gives this little promise that seed will be left in the land. The last sentence of verse 13, 
But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. God gives this promise that seed will remain. And there's the illustration there of these two trees, the terebinth and oak, leaving stumps when they are cut down. That's what Israel is going to be like. Apparently, I'm not a gardening person, but a terebinth and an oak tree are good at, if you cut them off, they still grow again. That from the stump, there is seed there and it continues to grow. I don't have experience with those two trees, but I do know that some weeds in my backyard, no matter how often I chop the top of them off, they continue coming back. I've got to try and get in and get that root. And of course, often that root is in the next door neighbor's yard and is uh, coming in under my fence and continuing to propagate in my backyard. Certain plants you chop off the top, but they keep on coming back. And that's in a negative sense with weeds, but it's in a positive sense here about Israel. The top is chopped off Israel. More than, 10, uh, more than 90% of the tree is chopped off. More than 90% of Israel is chopped down. But God gives this promise, just like the terebinth and oak tree, there's a seed in that stump. And that seed will mean the survival of my people. There's a little promise there of encouragement for Isaiah as he's probably despairing about his job and then the term of his job. He might have thought it'd be over fairly quickly, but no, it's going to be a long-term job he's got as people are wiped out around him. And so he's got this promise that the seed will remain in the land. And it's not just any seed that remains. What does it describe the seed as in verse 13? But as the terebinth and oak leaf stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be in the stump, be the stump in the land. It's going to be a holy seed that is left. This is an amazing statement that he calls seed in Israel, anyone in Israel, holy. Because how has the word holy been used previously in the text? To describe God. Back in verse 3, we see these angels, these seraphs crying. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. We see that this word holy is actually used of the people of God. He will cleanse them and make them holy. So it's not just going to be any seed that's left in the land. It's not going to be uh, like a weed, something that we don't like growing back up again. It's going to be a good plant that's growing back up. Holy seed is there. Now, did God do this? Did God bring this about? Did he make Isaiah go through all this pain of proclaiming God's word under these circumstances? Did Isaiah's ministry not have to see a downsizing of Israel? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. God did downsize Israel. We at first might have thought that the downsizing would come through the Assyrian army. So the Assyrian was a very powerful nation. Assyria was a very powerful nation. And it came. And it decimated lots of nations. And it came right up to Jerusalem. And there was thought that it was going to conquer the walls of Jerusalem and take all the people in Jerusalem captive or kill them. The Assyrians were very nasty 
to the people that they conquered. They killed them, but not just mercifully. They did horrible things to their enemies when they finally caught them. But we remember in Isaiah later on in the book and, of course, in uh, Kings, we see, and the book of Chronicles, we see that God sends the Assyrian army packing. One angel of the Lord comes one night and kills 165,000 Assyrian soldiers. And the Assyrian king quickly departs. He has to go back to his own country after that. It's one of my most favourite stories in the Bible. 165,000 versus one angel. And who comes out on top? The angel. So did this happen to Israel, this downsizing? Yes. The Assyrians went home, but the Babylonians came instead. And the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar came with his army and he decimated Jerusalem. And he took people far away, just as promised here in Isaiah, verse 12, until the Lord has sent everyone far away. He took people back to Babylon. He took them into exile. This indeed did take place. Isaiah had to work under these conditions. He had to keep on proclaiming God's word until everyone was taken away. Everyone? Well, no, there was a holy seed that did remain. There were some people who were left in the land, some of the very poor to look after the land. And of course there were people left in exile and they did come back. And life did come back to Israel. Of course the Jews are here still today. They're descendants from these people. The Jewish nation wasn't completely decimated, never to be heard of again, like some nations have been in history. No, there was a holy seed that remained. And of course, from that holy seed, who do we get? Jesus Christ. He is a descendant of these Israelites that are left as a stump in the land. And from him, the truly holy seed, the only one who has ever been completely holy, holy, holy as the Lord Almighty, We have the Christian church today. We are that holy seed left in the stump of the land. God indeed did bring about his promise of downsizing Israel, but that there would be a seed, and from that seed has blossomed the kingdom of God as we know it today. Christianity in all its glory is part of this promise that we see here in Isaiah. So what can we learn from this text? We see Isaiah's job description there. We see how long he has to do it for. And we see that he had to do it under those circumstances that God predicted. What can we learn? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. You must share the gospel till there is no one left to. You must share the gospel till there is no one left to. Last week, I encouraged you to learn from Isaiah's example to be like Isaiah, to stick up your hand and volunteer for the job of being God's ambassador, being the one that he would send to the people in your life. There is maybe no one else in the life of those people that you're friends with, that you have family connections with, who is a Christian. Who is God going to send to them? You. Stick up your hand, volunteer, and proclaim God's word to them even if it hardens them even if they become resistant to Jesus because they find out more about Jesus from you. 
I encouraged you to do that last week. And you might have been asking the exact same question that Isaiah is asking here. How long must I keep talking to my friends and family, to my next-door neighbours, about Jesus? How long must I go on telling them about Jesus and seeing them hardened to the gospel, seeing them resist what I say again and again and again? As I speak the gospel, I speak it properly, but they seem to resist it. How long must I keep doing that? It's not pleasant. I'm scared to do it. And when I pluck up the courage to do it, I then get shut down. How long must I keep on doing that for? Well, I think the answer is still the same. The answer that Isaiah received. Until there's no one left to talk to. There's no indication in the Bible, in the Old Testament or the New Testament, that you must ever stop talking about Jesus altogether with those around you. You must... Never shut your mouth altogether. There are times, of course, to close your mouth and times to open it, but you must never shut it forever. You must keep telling people about Jesus until there is no one left to tell. You must keep on speaking until what happens here in Isaiah might happen, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until houses are left deserted and fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. You keep talking about Jesus until there's no one left to tell, even if it means seeing the people around you violently killed and removed from this earth. You keep on telling people about Jesus. But it may not be that you see them violently removed in this sense. I mean, it has happened in history as nations have gone to war. But it may not happen in your lifetime here in Australia. We're quite blessed. But it may be that people are removed from your life. Particularly they remove themselves from your life. Friends and family that you've spoken to about Jesus don't want anything to do with you anymore. They don't want anything to do with you because you become a Christian and then because you won't keep your mouth shut about Christianity either. And so they remove themselves from your life. And so you think, how long must I keep on doing this? Can I stop at some point? Can I stop talking to people? Because soon, God, I'm going to have no friends and no family left if I don't keep my mouth shut. What does God say? Keep talking about me until there is no one left. Until all the relationships are broken. Until you have no friends, no family, no neighbours to talk to about Jesus Christ. Because there's always a temptation when you have people removed from your life and people being hardened to the gospel to give up, to stop talking about Jesus, to stop sharing the good news. That if they repent of their sins and believe in him, they can be saved. And so you think... I'm going to stop talking, or at least I'm not going to talk to that particular person anymore because they're too hardened. I'm not going to share the gospel with them anymore. Even ministers are guilty of that temptation of stopping talking about Jesus because they've seen people hardened and they've seen people break relationships, leave the church because they keep sharing the gospel again and again. And people don't like to hear it. 
Some ministers, they don't see the conversions that they want, and so they move on. They think this area is too hard, and so they say, I'll go to a softer ground. And all Christians are tempted to do that, that we'll shut up about Jesus because we see people leaving us and we see people being hardened. But we've got to be like Isaiah. We've got to do his job and keep talking about Jesus as long as there is someone to talk to. Now, that sounds depressing. Is there any encouragement for you? You think, if everybody leaves me, I'm going to be on my own and have no one around me. What if even the church around me is being decimated, that people are leaving because I keep talking about Jesus and they don't want to hear, they just want to go to a church where they get patted on the back each week and have a social club? Well, there's a promise here, isn't there? There was a promise for Isaiah that a seed would remain in the land and God promises to maintain his kingdom. Through church history, people have sometimes thought they were the only one left. But God has shown that he's always got people around. We see that with Elijah in the Old Testament. He thinks he's the only one left and he has a little sook about it. He runs away from Israel and says to God, I'm the only one left. And what does God say to him? He says, Isaiah, uh, Elijah, I have 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal, the foreign god. I still have 7,000 people in Israel. Don't think you're the only one left. And it's the same through church history. God has preserved his people. He gives us relationships with people around us to encourage us and support us. And so as you may find non-Christians around you are breaking relationships with you and you're running out of people to tell, you have encouragement, you have support in the people of God. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who are around you, a holy seed. And even if they're all removed and you're locked up in a prison cell in solitary where it's all blackness, do you have no one there with you? You have Jesus Christ. You have the holiest of all seeds. He's there. He's your friend. He's there with you in solitary confinement, in jail, where there's no one around you. You always have a holy seed with you. So there's an encouragement there. Even depressing as it sounds to have all the relationships around you broken because you won't shut up about God. You do have Holy Seed there to encourage you. So keep on proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian here this morning, don't shut up about Jesus Christ. Keep on speaking about him. Proclaim Jesus and him crucified. I want Dremoyne Baptist to be a people who keep on telling the gospel until there's no one left to tell. Until there's no one left in this suburb. Till there's no one left in the surrounding suburbs to talk to about Jesus Christ. You may have noticed that every week I share the gospel message. I try and include it in my sermon every week that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and the way to accept his salvation, the way to be free, is to repent of your sins and believe in his death. I share it again and again and again because that is my job. I don't just share the gospel based on relationships with people around me 
I share it because that is my job. I share it until there is no one left to tell. I'll be here sharing this gospel until you either fire me, get rid of me out of this church, or until it's an empty room and there's no one left here to tell. Will you be like that too? Will you keep on sharing the gospel again and again and again until there's no one left to tell? With your friends and your family, will you keep doing it despite hardening of heart, despite the removal of their relationships with you because you're sharing the gospel with them? I encourage you to do so. Be like Isaiah and keep sharing the gospel until there's no one left to tell. Let's speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Isaiah and we thank you for his faithfulness to the message that you had given him and that he shared it under very trying circumstances, very depressing circumstances. But you also gave him a promise that there would be a holy seed in the land. Lord, we pray that we may be like Isaiah, May we share the gospel until there's no one left to tell, until all people have been removed from our lives. And despite the hardening that may happen to their hearts, may we never keep our mouths shut about Jesus. May we never give up telling them to repent and believe in Jesus' death for their sins. Lord, we do pray that we may find encouragement, however, in the fact that you do keep a holy seed in the land. You give us brothers and sisters in Christ so that we are supported. Even though we lose friends and family because of our relationship with you, you give us a huge family. You give us fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters in Christ. And even if they are all removed, we still have you, our loving Father and our brother Jesus. Lord, we pray that this may encourage us to keep on proclaiming you, even if it means the removal of everyone around us except you, because you are our delight, you are our joy, and if we have you, we are happy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.